attention to the things that you've said to us. Uh, We know you are the Messiah. You were the promised one that would come. And you fulfilled all the prophecies. And you gave your life. We thank you that we have that hope that we'll see you again. And that we get to be with you forever. So I pray as we uh, look at your word today that it would exalt you both in how it's preached and what we do with it when we've heard it. I pray you'd help my voice and uh, not to be a distraction, both in what I say or or the cough. Um, help Help us understand what you've told us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So one of the hardest things about the last, uh, I don't know, month is uh, if I sing in church, then I cough. Like that's just like, if I don't sing, I'm saving my voice for preaching, but I hate not singing. I don't know how you are, but I just, I, I don't, you don't go to church and not sing. You sing and you sing out. Even if you're off key, you sing out. That That's my, that's my take on it. So uh, it's been hard. So I've sang a little bit this morning and, ah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I have a cup holder on my new uh, pulpit. You notice this is a big one, you know, so I can't beat on it, and uh, it's small. But I don't like to stay behind it anyway, so this is good. Um, this is perfect. Um, but I do have a cup holder here for my drink, and I saw someone put some water in here this morning, and I wasn't sure if it was my cup or someone else's. Is this my cup? It's yours? Oh, good. Then I'll drink. Okay. That's good. All right, so we're in the uh, the last stages of Rooted. Our ten weeks are almost over. Uh, you've all been discipled now, and you're ready to go, right? Uh, actually, I hope that after having gone through this, that you do think about the discipleship ramifications of going through a ten-week experience like this, and that you think about things like this. I could do this with somebody. You know, you got a friend at work. You could get them a book and you could sit down with them and they could do their readings and you could have your own little rooted two-people thing and you, you could disciple someone with this. I want our church to get really good at disciple-making. Uh, a lot of people are asking, you know, what's the next thing? Um, I can tell you that's still on my heart. I think about it almost every day. Like, like what do small groups look like in Three Lakes next year? I'll probably talk about that a little more next week. But I can tell you one thing that, that keeps hitting me is it was so good for us to go through this study together, you know, all of us together. Uh, and people were able to um, talk to other folks. You know, like even people aren't in your small group, you can still talk to somebody else about the same thing they're studying. And, and we're all moving the same direction. So I keep thinking, you know, maybe it's a once-a-year thing in the fall where we all do a study together. You know, the sermon's on that topic, the study's on that topic, and we all move through it. So I keep rolling these things around, but I'll have more to say uh, next week on that topic, on our Celebration Day, week 10. Okay? So, um, let's do this. 1 Peter 3, 15. If you're in Rooted, you memorize this. This is a tough one. I don't know why this is a tough one for me, but I I keep stumbling over my words every time I try to do this one. It's like the hardest one of all the ones we've done, I think. Um, We'll see if I can get it right this morning, though. Say it with me. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Ooh, you're kind of quiet too. What's up with that? All right, let's try that again, my voice. 
but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I did it once. I don't have to do it again, right? That's it. That's over. All right. All right. So, uh, awesome verse. Um, I want to show you, uh, if you would turn to 1 Peter 3, let's take a look at that. I want you to see the verses around it. 1 Peter 3. And uh, let's start it off in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously about your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, Peter does something very interesting here. He knows his Bible, and he quotes Isaiah 8. Uh, And he does it um, right in the part where he says in verse 14, Do not fear what they fear, and do not be frightened. You know, who's the they? And why are they frightened? Obviously, this verse is about evangelism, you know, be prepared to give an answer. So what's this whole don't be scared quote have to do with setting apart Christ as Lord, being prepared to give an answer? So would you go to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11? It will be worth your while. Isaiah 8, 11. All right, here we go. Isaiah 8.11 says, The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, this is the Lord speaking, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. And here's, here's Peter's quote here. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you would regard as Holy. That's the whole set apart Christ as Lord, you know, revere Christ as Lord. The Lord Almighty, or that's the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, Yahweh of armies, He's the one you're to regard as holy. He's the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. And He will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, He will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, He'll be a trap and a snare. Okay, what in the world is going on? Well... In Isaiah 8, uh, you're talking around 730 B.C., that that vicinity of of the year. So you've got Israel and Judah. And Israel wants the southern kingdom of Judah to make a pact with them, an agreement, to go up against the Assyrian people. And you've got Syria and Israel, and they're like, Judah, would you join us in fighting Assyria? And uh, Judah says, no, we're not going to join you to help fight Assyria. In fact, we're going to look to Assyria for help. And, and the whole thing plays out where that Assyria actually decides they're going to go to war with everybody, and they're going to expand their empire. And so Assyria is fighting against these nations. And Assyria is terrifyingly powerful. Terrifyingly powerful. They, um, 
the things that they did with modern, with, with, with at their time modern warfare, um, b- before Assyria, you kings would go out to war at certain times of the year. They'd kind of center it around uh, the farming schedule because you wanted farmers to fight in your army. So the farmers had to get back to the farms to fight at those times, you know, to not fight at those times. So Assyria said, well, we're not doing that anymore. Our army's going to be year-round. Well, that's pretty smart because now you can fight these guys, these, these nations that don't have armies year-round. They changed the way battles worked. Uh, Assyria invented one of the most enduring uh, military inventions ever made. And, and it's up to this day we have Assyria to thank for. You know what it is? The, the boot. The boot. A soldier's boots. Assyria invented that. They used to wear sandals. And Assyria's like, well, that's not very, that doesn't work very well. And they invented boots. Uh, they had archers and slingers, and th- they could lay siege to a city for a year, cutting you off from your food supply. And then they expanded it to three years. Three years, they could be camp- they've done this. They camped around a city, and finally the city gave up and said, three years into this, we're starving, we're done, we give up. And Assyria said, great. And they marched in and killed everybody in there. Assyria is terrifyingly powerful. And the people of Judah and Israel knew they were coming. They were coming. And so you've got in verse 12, end of verse 12, don't fear what they fear and do not dread it. God's saying, don't be scared of the Assyrians. Do not be dread them. And then he says, the Lord Almighty, that, that's... Yahweh of armies, that, that's the translation of Lord Almighty. The Lord of hosts, is some, some translations say that. Uh, he's the one you should regard as holy. He's the one you should fear. He's the one you should dread. And he will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, he'll be a stone that causes men to stumble. So I think this is the point. Don't be scared of Assyria because God is still the God, the Lord of hosts. He still has all the power. And in fact... If you look at verse, uh, uh, where am I at here? Verse 14, he'll be your sanctuary. You, you can go to him. You can flee to him. He will protect you. But one group of people he's a sanctuary to, but other people he's a stone that causes you to stumble. It just depends on how you, how, how you view him, how you treat him, how you, how you relate to the Lord. Do, do you fear the Lord above everybody else? Do you respect him more than everybody else? If you do, he's a sanctuary. If you don't fear God and treat him like he's holy, then he's a stumbling block. This depends on how you treat him. Now, this is the Lord Almighty we're talking about. The Lord of hosts. Yahweh of armies. You know that song, that Chris Tomlin song, The God of Angel Armies is always by my side? That, that, that's the Lord of hosts, the God of armies. Now, if you go back to First Peter 3, hopefully you kept your finger there. I didn't. Uh, okay. First Peter 3, look at what Peter says now. Uh, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be frightened. There's our Assyrians. They're coming for us. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. It doesn't say set apart the God of angel armies. You know, it doesn't say the Lord of hosts. It says set apart Messiah Christ. We sang about that too this morning. Jesus Messiah, name above all names. Set apart 
Christ is Lord. You know what that's saying about Jesus, basically? Jesus, in 1 Peter 3.15, is the same God as the Lord Almighty, Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of armies, in Isaiah 8. Simply put, it's saying Jesus is God. He's the God of Isaiah chapter 8. That's what Peter's saying. Again, just so when people come against you and say, well, you know, hundreds of years later, people invented Jesus' deity. Actually, Peter was pretty, pretty sure, 100% sure, Jesus is God. And he compared him to the God of Isaiah 8. That's who he is. Set him apart. Now, okay, the thing I want to tell you, you know, you that have memorized this verse, this is interesting. This is a verse about evangelism, and all week long and rooted, you've been reading about evangelism. You've been thinking about how, how, do, you, how do you share your testimony, and, and, and you've been challenged to share with other people your faith this last week. I hope that you're still thinking about doing that. I got into a conversation this week myself uh, with somebody uh, that, that, I, that I could talk with. Um, there's only, in 1 Peter 3.15, there's only one command. Uh, it looks like there's a lots of verbs in the English version of 1 Peter 3.15. You know, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, but actually there's only one verb in that whole thing. It's, it's a command. You know, what, you know what it is? Set apart Christ as Lord. That's the only verb. That's the only command. Everything in 1 Peter 3.15 hinges on setting apart Christ as Lord. Okay, what in the world does that mean? And what does Assyria have to do with evangelism? That's my big question, right? Um, when I was in high school, I, was, I got to be part of my youth pastor's uh, small group. And I was there almost every week. Well, one week I missed. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know what I was doing, but I, I came the next week. And the guys were kind of talking. And they were really serious. And normally, you know, the guys kind of, we joke around and wrestle around. And, you, you know, you just kind of do that thing. And, uh, but this week they were kind of serious. And I was asking them what was going on. And they said, well, last week... We got in a wrestling match in the youth pastor's living room. Any of you ever done that? Anybody? Um, we got in a wrestling match in the youth pastor's living room, and it was just fun until we knocked the vase over. And it was a vase that uh, was given to them at their wedding. And we broke that vase, and it won't be replaced. And so now it was all serious, and we can't, you know, we got to be a little more careful. I think we started meeting in the basement after that, maybe. Um, I think that's what happened. Um, but everything changed. Uh, but, you know, when you have a treasure, often you want to display it. You want to set it out. You ladies know how this is. Some of you inherit jewelry from relatives or you get given a gift of a nice ring and you want to wear that thing so people can see it. This is, you know, you say, this is my grandmother's ring. You know, this is the ring my mother wore on her wedding day and, and you want to display it. It gets a, a prominent place. It's like that here. Uh, you kids, maybe you do this. Um, you, you have lots of trophies, maybe wrestling trophies even. You know, you've got trophies. But when you get like a first place trophy, you know, like a championship kind of thing, you, you'd set that one in a different place, wouldn't you? Like that would get like the, that would be like the main, th everything else can be behind that trophy, right? That's the main one. Now, what this is saying is in your hearts, in your heart, 
set apart Christ as Lord. So I'm thinking of everything in the world that concerns me. You, you can be concerned about many things. And I'm, I'm sure for the folks in, in, in France, there's that concern of terrorism right now. And, and you can be concerned. And you might even be scared. But Peter's saying, no, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Make him holy. Now, the word is sanctify. Sanctify Christ. I can't make Christ more holy. You can't make him more holy. You know what? You'd only make him worse if you tried. You know, uh, you can't make Jesus more holy than he is. So I think it's kind of like um, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallow your name. Make your name holy so people will know how great you are. Treat it special. So what we're saying, sanctify Jesus in your hearts, all that means is I, I'm putting you in a special place like, like nothing else. You're the special ring. You're, you're the expensive vase. You're that special thing that's like nothing else in my life. You're the first place trophy that I want everyone to see and, and, and to know that, that that's an amazing trophy. You know, you're that in my heart. And I'm going to leave you there. That's who you are to me. I don't fear what everybody else fears. I treat God as someone who's in charge of the entire world. I treat him like he's holy. Uh, I've been thinking all week then, how does that impact our evangelism? You know, why is it that Peter says, here's one thing you guys should do. Treat Jesus as a holy person. And then everything else is like these descriptive words. You know, being prepared to give an answer. Uh, for anyone who asks you the reason of the hope you have. Everything hinges on treating Jesus like he's holy. What does that do for our evangelism then? Well, it does at least three things, as we can see here. Um, it does, first of all, uh, if you sanctify Jesus in your heart, then your defense will be ready. Your defense will be ready. Um, the word defense is the same word we get the word apologetics I used to take, I think I've shared this with you before, but I used to take kids to, uh, teenagers to a thing called SEMP in Chicago. They held it at Wheaton College, and they held it one year at Moody Bible Institute. And, and it was a Sun Life Ministries thing. And, and SEMP stood for Students Equipped to Minister to Peers. And from like 9 in the morning to like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, you would get trained in apologetics, how to share your faith. And one of the things they would do is, when you're talking to somebody, you need to realize what their roadblock is that's stopping them from coming to Christ. And then you have to figure out, and we're going to teach you how to get around that roadblock. So if you have a hard time believing that Jesus is who he says he is, then why don't you talk about the prophecies he fulfilled? And if you have a hard time believing Jesus is historical, then why don't you quote the Roman historian uh, or, or the Jewish historian Josephus, and show them that Jesus was historical. You know, they had all this information, and for a week you just take this in. I have found, and I, and I love that training, by the way, but I have found that when I'm in the heat of it, I have a hard time remembering those roadblocks. Just, just being honest, I have a hard time, like on day two of Semp, pull that out. Here it is. Booyah, gotcha, you're going to become a Christian today. You know, it, it, it's hard for me to, to, to just bring out that right thing and, and throw it out. And, and it's good training, and I'm glad I got it, and I'm glad teenagers understand we have reasons to believe what we believe. 
But how prepared do you need to be? That's my question. How prepared do I need to be or you need to be to share your faith? Um, okay. Can you put up the Luke passage? It gets more complicated because Jesus said stuff like this. But make up in your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. Okay. So I don't need to worry about how to defend myself. He's just going to give me the right words. I'm not going to put another, another passage that says the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Now, Luke 21, just, just so we're clear, I mean, that, that, I, I read that and I go, uh-oh, how prepared should I be? Luke 21 is also a, um, it, the context is the end times, when people, families turn against each other, when the abomination of desolation happens. I mean, it's prophecy. And in those days, Jesus says, you know, if they lock you up and you have to testify before somebody, don't worry what you're going to say. You'll have the words to say it. I think we need to balance a little bit here. Uh, and I think this is what the balance ought to be. Training is good. Training is great. Uh, you know, uh, the Curtises. Are they, are they Curtises here? They do evan- evangelism class. Th- that's awesome. That's awesome. Training is good. But if you're waiting to get, like, trained enough to say something, you'll never say it. Right? If you're waiting for that, like, well, I've been to some evangelism classes. I can't remember anything I heard in those things. Join the crowd. Um, If you're waiting for the magic bullet, it'll never happen. You'll never have that perfect thing to say that will convince every person that they need to have follow Jesus right now. It's just not out there. Training is great, and I encourage it. I I encourage their study, the, the Way of the Master series. But if you're waiting... Stop it. He's already given you the words. And if you revere Christ as Lord, if, if Jesus is amazing to you and holy and he's like no one else, you're going to have the words to say that to people. It'll come out. It will just come out. It will come out. You need to get better at it, yes. You need to get better at it. But it will come out. Um, Moving on. Uh, another thing about this being ready with the defense thing. Um, you, you ever heard that quote? We can put it up here. Uh, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. False. Curtis, you could have amended me there. Come on. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's false. Uh, first of all, uh, people say St. Francis of Assisi said that. Well, the Franciscans say, and they kind of know things about Francis. The Franciscans say, not true, he never said that. So there's that. Uh, former president of Wheaton College says this. I love this. Uh, uh, Dwayne Lifton, am I saying that right? It's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel's inherently verbal. Preaching the gospel is an inherently verbal behavior. So what, what Peter's saying is, you got to use words. Give an answer. The gospel is a verbal thing. Romans says the same thing if you want to put that verse up just quickly. Um, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? The gospel's verbal. But the cool thing about the Peter passage is look at verse 16, 316. Um, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously, maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Your good behavior in Christ. 
So I love this. Like, Peter, you set this up perfectly. Well, you were inspired. Of course you did. Um, Give an answer. If you don't talk about the gospel, you have not shared your faith, you've not evangelized, you failed. (laughs) Your, Your life doesn't do it by itself. I've said it many times before, but I'll never forget the time I was at a conference and we cleaned up a, sh- a park in Chicago. We got back, and then, and then the leader said, all of you shared the gospel today with what you did. Uh, unless they talked to somebody, no, they didn't. They did a good work. They let their light shine that way, but they didn't share the gospel. You've got to speak, and if you're not verbal and you don't like talking, well, then you have, there's an exemption form for you, right? No, actually, there's not. I had a teacher in college who gave me uh, uh, a great commission exemption form and handed it out and said, here you go, use this. It's a joke. There's no exemption. You've got to share. But Peter, in his wisdom and inspiration by the Spirit, says, don't forget, you've got to have good behavior so that when people put you down, they see that you may be this crazy Jesus-loving person, but you have actions to back it up. It's faith. It's works. It's speaking about it and testifying to it with your actions. It's both. But don't tell me you've shared the gospel unless you opened your mouth. And don't tell me St. Francis said so-and-so that Franciscans say he did not. (laughs) There you go. I know some of you will love pulling that trivia out when someone says that. You're going to be like, no, ask the Franciscans. Okay, Uh, here we go. So... um, and don't say this. this you know, we're not, we're not St. Francis. We don't always quote St. Francis. But sometimes we say, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Now, Peter says, no, look at you. Look at you. You're not perfect. You're still going to be a sinner. But people should be able to look at you and see good deeds. Okay. Uh, let's keep moving. Number two. Uh, if, if you set apart Christ as Lord, your hope will be attractive. Your hope will be attractive. Um, what kind of hope did Peter have in mind when he talked about hope? You know, when he said, people are going to ask you about your hope. What are you going to say to them? Here's some things you could say. First uh, Peter 1, verse 3. Uh, if you want to look back at that, one chapter back or two chapters back. Peter talks about hope in his, in his letter, short letter. Uh, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. When you talk about your hope, when life stinks and people look at you and say, what in the world? Why are you smiling on a day like this? You know, you lost your job or, or this bad thing happened to you. How can you have joy in this You'd say, well, that's the hope of Christ. You see, I know that when I get to heaven, he's going to take all my sicknesses and diseases away. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's heaven. I've noticed in the church today, maybe this is young people in the church, I I don't know, but there's a little bit of a resistance to, like, heaven, like thinking about heaven a lot. If you don't think about heaven a lot, then your hope's going to diminish And when things get hard, you're going to break. You're going to crumble. There's times when heaven is all you've got. When a disease is ravaging your body, heaven is the hope of this will end one day and I'll still be alive and I'll be with Jesus and I'll be in a perfect body. And while you're young, you don't have that disease. But one day you might. One day you might. 
And heaven will be the sweetest doctrine you've ever heard. It will be sweet. Don't follow what I see in the church a little bit today of diminishing the importance of heaven. Don't do that. Heaven's awesome. You should hold on to that. Grip it. Think about it. Uh, Secondly, hope. The other kind of hope is in verse 13. Um, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Look forward to Jesus coming back. Again, I see some people diminishing Jesus' return. You know, like, oh, you're just looking to the skies all the time. You know, you're just... That's what I thought about my grandma. You're always talking about Jesus coming back. You know, I told you this before. My grandma said, don't get married, Niall. Jesus is coming back. No. I know he is. But I want to get married. <laughs> he's, he's coming back. And that doesn't mean your head's in the clouds so much that you don't worry about what's going on here. We are concerned with... I'm tr- we're troubled by terrorism. We're troubled by the persecution of the church. These things bother us and they should lead us to pray, but we, they should lead us to look to the sky and say, one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to set all this right. And, and, and some people say, well, if you Christians worry so much about Jesus' return that you're not worried about like what's happening with our environment you know, and, and how to take care of things. Well, look... Genesis says he's given us dominion over the earth. If we don't take care of things on earth, we're disobeying God. And it doesn't do to say, well, one day he's going to come back and burn it all anyway, and you know, so might as well just let it go. Look, I, I've heard people say, I'm sure you've heard people say this. So that means when God said, Adam, take care of things and have dominion over the earth, did that mean Adam could one day say, well, you know what? I'm not really worried about it. You commanded me, but forget it. it. It's a command for all of us. Keep that in mind. The other kind of hope that we get have is um, in 21, the resurrection. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. God raised Jesus from the dead, and so it stands to reason that, and we're told, he's going to raise us from the dead. Jesus is the first one. When someone says, why do you have so much hope? Well, One day I'm going to be resurrected. That's hope. How do you know that? Well, Jesus was resurrected. You believe a guy came back to life in the first century? Yeah, I believe. That's why we changed the calendar and all that around. He's Jesus. That's why we did this. That's why we worship on Sunday and not Saturday like every Jewish person. It's the resurrection day. And tell him that. And and say, well, I can't believe Jesus came back to life. Okay. But I believe that and it changes everything. It changes everything. Tell them that. So uh, Peter was. Peter said, your hope, people will ask you about it. They might not say, why do you have hope? They might just say, why, don't you, why aren't you scared about this? What's going on? When you suffer, it's, it's a beautiful time to show people that you're not scared. Okay, finally and lastly, as I'm out of time. Man, all right. Uh, number three, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. Your attitude should be gentle and respectful. Here's the million-dollar question for me about this. I've thought about this all week long. Do this with gentleness and respect. Literally, the word, the word uh, gentle is the word for humility and meekness. And the word for respect is phobos, or phobos, fear. Do this with fear. So when I share my faith, am I supposed to fear the person I'm talking to? 
He's saying, no, you're supposed to respect them. Is that what this is saying? Here's my question. Is this an attitude that I have towards God when I share my faith? Gentleness and respect? Or is it an attitude I have towards people? Gentleness and fear of them. You can see why the translators translated respect as fear, can't you? It makes it a little easier for us. Fear, phobos. Um, I thought about this all week. I looked all week at this, this crazy thing. And, and here's where I'm at right now. I, I believe that gentleness and fear starts with God and spills over onto people. You know? If I fear God, because obviously the context is Peter says, don't fear them. Revere Christ as Lord. And it comes out of Isaiah 8. Don't fear them. The Assyrians are coming. Don't be afraid. Um, if I keep the Lord and at the top and I fear him the most, and, and if I do this, I won't be scared of sharing my faith with people. Okay? So let me say this. If you're scared to share your faith, then what Peter's saying is you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. And you're not treating him like he's holy. Okay? I'm preaching that to myself because often I don't like to get shot down. And I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Usually I tell them I'm a pastor so then they know up front that I'm crazy. Um, that kind of takes the edge off. I'm a pastor. Of course I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I don't know what your lead in line is, but I love telling people I'm a pastor because then they just expect it. Here it comes, and it comes. <laughs> All right? Um, but sometimes I don't tell them anything because I just, I just don't want to be shot down. If you revere Christ as Lord, if you make Christ as holy, he will help cast out that fear of sharing your faith. And you will have a healthy respect for people, but you won't fear them. Um, sometimes I get in online discussions on Facebook. Let's talk about gentleness, and then we'll kind of be we'll close it out here. Um, I try not to discuss deep things on Facebook. It's hard though. If a Christian says something very anti-biblical, I have a hard time not writing on there. Now I don't do it necessarily to people in this church. I think for that that may be a little awkward. The pastor called you out, you know. I'd probably write you, like, privately if I saw something really weird. Um, but sometimes when I see two Christians talking about something and someone says something really off, like, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. What is that? Um, <sighs> there was a time a few months ago, I have a buddy who left the faith, left the church, and is now antagonistic about Christian, Christianity. And he's written some things, and I've interacted with him online publicly, because all of his friends get in there, and they're like, yeah, Christians are stupid, they're idiots, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he doesn't really say that, but he eggs it on. And, and I find myself reading that stuff, and it just boils the blood. You know, like you're, you, you've been in the church a long time, and you know this is not how we are. And sometimes I enter in, and uh, maybe about a month ago, two months ago, I got into one of those discussions, and I ended up accusing him of a heart issue. You know, like, you just want to do this to us. You just want to say these things. And I went for the heart issue. 
And I realized I just accused them of a heart issue online in front of everybody. Everyone that was looking at it, that is. Not my place to accuse him publicly of a heart issue. What was I doing? And so I apologized. Um, and, and I say that because us Christians, when it comes to defending Jesus, sometimes we get a little overzealous and we're not respectful or gentle to the people we're talking to. If you don't say it with gentleness and respect, if you can't say it that way, then don't say it. Think of a different way to say it. If you've overdone it, go back and apologize. It's a good thing. And I hated apologizing. I'm just like, I was typing my apology and I was thinking to myself, but I know you have a heart issue. I know you do. I know exactly why you wrote that and I called you out on it and I stand by every word I said, but I shouldn't have done it publicly. You know, ah. Step back, take a deep breath, and apologize. Have you gone overboard at work? Praise God you're sharing your faith at work. But have you been disrespectful or not very gentle about it? Then go back and apologize and say, I believe everything I said, but I shouldn't have said it that way. It wasn't helpful. The world loves painting Christians as these overbearing people, and sometimes we get that way. But the world loves to see us that way. You know the Starbucks cup thing? Let's close with this, right? The Starbucks cup. I don't know anybody that feels that way about that cup. Are any of you seriously offended by a red cup this year? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Let me know. You're mad. You are mad. Stinking mad. I could care less. No one I know cares about this. But somehow it's out there that Christians care about this. And it's like, no. We got more important things to worry about than red cups and Starbucks is pagan. They're pagans. They have good coffee. I preach from an iPad. Apple is pagan. They're pagans. And I use their products. You know, I, so, okay. Jesus doesn't have a decal on the back of my iPad. I've got to change that. I've got to change that. Man. Um. Keep Christ in Christmas. Do you know it's not really his birthday? <gasps> okay, sorry, I'm, I'm going. Uh, I'm going. You can celebrate his birthday any day you want, and especially December 25th. I highly encourage it, and that's what I'll be doing. But uh, let's share the gospel with people. Let's focus on the main things. And let me say it again. If you revere Jesus as Lord, if you treat him like he's holy, and like there's nobody like him, and the best thing in your life is him, the words will flow. The words will flow. You may have to stumble on them, but they'll, they'll come out. They will come out. Let's pray. Would you stand with me at this time?